All right, welcome to another episode of the Fair Chase podcast. I, uh, I'm here. This is James uh, with Jared. I, we never introduce ourselves at the beginning. So I'm James. Jared, do you want to give, give a high sign? Hi, I'm Rod, and I like to party. Yeah, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> <laughs> we've got a, 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 yeah, we've got a special guest on uh, today, former, and I didn't know this before you were going to join us on the podcast, but you've been on the Shark Tank. I have, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of claims to fame that you might have, but that's definitely one of them. You want to introduce yourself? Uh, sure. My name's Christian Schaff. Um, I, I think I'm here because I, of my company, Uncharted Supply, which I started about four or five years ago, and happy to be here. I don't know. How's that? Perfect. That's perfect. I mean, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> it's it. fine. You know. I like to party, too. <laughs> yeah, he likes to party, too. And I'll also say, like, as I was getting ready to, to talk to you today, I was saying, oh, I wonder if he's on any other podcasts. And you were on the podcast of the greatest football player to ever grace the field of Soldier Field, Jay Cutler himself. Are you forgetting? I mean, listen, Jay's become a friend, but I mean, there's Walter Payton. No, no. See, <laughs> you don't no? understand. My love for Jay Cutler goes very deep. It's deep. been strong for a really? long time. I've hung with him. One of the best days of my life, other than my wedding day and the birth of my child, was Jay Cutler getting traded to the Chicago Bears. I remember where I was. <laughs> Really lost it. Oh, it was the it was exciting. Yeah, cannon for an arm, flow, best buns in the NFL. He's, he's got it all. Um, That's you know, it's funny. I, I was on his podcast. I mean, I never met him. Obviously, I, I was a Packers fan growing up my whole life, right? So mm. we just played against him all the time. And I I love watching football, but I'm not a person that digs too deep into sports, you know. But yeah. um, and like the personalities and everything beyond just maybe like the Packers and you know a couple teams that I follow, but. Jay, uh, I really enjoyed getting to know him. And actually, we just last night or the night before, uh, we're going axis hunting in Texas the end of the end of April, like three or four oh, of nice. us. So we've been texting back and forth, uh, getting ready for that. We're going to go bow hunting. And um, I'm excited to spend some time with him. He um, he's a lot deeper than he came across. Right. Watching watching football games and seems like a pretty cool dude. Yeah, he does. He does actually seem like cool. Then it's always like. I mean, I'm, I'm serious a little bit. Like I've got a, some Jay Cutler jerseys in my closet right now. Not to, <laughs> not to brag, but that's cool. So Axis, um, they don't have, do they have a season in, te- you're in Texas, you said? This is Texas. And as I understand it, um, there are seasons for animals that are, are native to Texas. Any, any quote unquote exotics or invasive species, you can literally hunt year round and you don't need a tag or anything. So like right. we were driving down there, one of my investors at Uncharted has a, a big ranch of 5,000 acres and he lets us go down there, you know, once in a while and hunt. And we were driving down there, boy, two months ago and this huge axis buck runs across the road. And I was like, wait, they were like, yeah, you could shoot that. If you get a gun out, as long as it's not on the road, you can shot that thing. <laughs> I love Texas. I'm like, yeah. that is just, that's pretty amazing. You know, like yeah. as it gets harder and harder to get an elk tag and you know, just the, it seems like all of the, uh, the red tape gets gets thicker every year in mm. Texas. It's like as long as it's not standing on the road, let it rip. You I know? mean, Texas is what every state should be. You can you can drink <laughs> in your car, you can shoot stuff out of helicopters, and there's stuff you can hunt all the time. I didn't know you could drink in your car, but uh, I, I, maybe I just made that up. No, I just, <laughs> you, can, you can do that in Virginia. Driver, drivers can drive people around drinking, but the driver, the driver can the, the driver. Hmm? The driver can't, but no, the driver cannot be intoxicated. 
But the well, passengers okay. can have an open open container. Road pop. Oh. All right. Oh. Not well, in Michigan. Wisconsin, you could go to a bar with your parents. Didn't matter how old you are. Okay, you know, that makes you could, sense. You got to watch the Packers, you know. Yeah, you could be eight and go go to a bar and like have a beer as long as your parents were there. So that was. You know what? It's your parents' call, right? Mm-hmm. That's funny. So you uh, you're big outdoorsman. Do a lot of hunting. We're observing the moose. Before, prior to you jumping on, Jared, I was looking at it. We right. found a good angle where it looks as big as <laughs> as it can possibly look. But it's a good moose. Did you say that was Alaska? That was uh, British Columbia, right on the Yukon border. Um, yeah, I actually positioned because the sun blasts in this room yeah. a certain <laughs> way, and then I was like, "Oh, the moose also looks big." So this is, when, but he's he's a pretty big guy. Um, I, I was telling you earlier, I I went on a hunt, and um, I don't know how long of a story you want to hear. There's a there's a YouTube video I made that it has a ton of views on this hunt, but we we went to this kind of low elevation swamp the first couple of days there. I had this young twenty some year old uh kiwi you know new zealand guide it was just him and i and we found this small moose with like two or three cows and kind of determined he must be the dominant moose because otherwise he wouldn't have multiple cows arrow, right man. so it's like let's get out of here and i i kind of made it a point to try to drop my guide just for fun and he's like oh he's like oh you can move let's i've always wanted to go moose hunt up where we stone sheep hunt so right. we went back and repacked and um i mean we were way 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 out there i mean you know this is like float pine into a little lodge and then you're horseback in about you know 10 or 15 miles and then you're hiking like another six or seven and to this valley and and we got in there probably day five of a 10-day hunt and we got up on this ridge and i pulled out my scope and i was like we both saw him at the same time and it was just like he's like i see one i'm like yeah yeah and and he he turns and looks and I'll, I'll never forget it it was like somebody adjusting a satellite dish on the top of like a tv truck you know yep. just those antlers came around and he was like do you want to go after him i'm like what what the heck are you talking about like this is the biggest yeah. animal yes. i've ever seen in my life and he's like well you know, later I asked him about that and he's like well he was a couple miles away and a lot of times guys don't want to put the work in and we don't know how many points he has you know up there it has to have three in the front or i think there's 10 up top right and we got in close and we saw it. We never, we never got a shot until four days later, but we would go back to that Valley every day. And we would basically run these ridge lines. Like we'd yeah. drop our packs, put a light pack on and jog. And we'd run a couple miles and set up and glass and run. And so, and like I said, it was like 130 some miles over about four or five days. Mm. Um, and we finally, like the last day he was like, you know, man, maybe we should start hunting back towards the cabin the plane comes in like 48 hours. And even if we got a moose and getting them out and our time is very tight. And I was like, it's him or nothing. I'm not going to feel good, you know, right. shooting something else. And I'd rather go home empty handed. No, I knowing I fought the good fight and we came over the hill and he was just right there and we, we got it done. And um, that was, that was probably the, I mean, I've shot like little, you know, little bucks and little, that was the first time where I was like, Oh my gosh, this was, it was kind of a life-changing experience. You know, yeah. it's just ama amazing. So gosh, anybody out there listening that's thinking about it, that's going, oh, it's kind of expensive. Just go while your knees can handle it and your right. back can handle it. <laughs> well, you get one, you get like a couple moose packs in your life before your knees shoot anyway, you're, they're shot anyways. So yeah, yeah. I mean, but it's, it's a big commitment and I was hesitant to do it, but it's one of my favorite memories in life at this point. So it's just it's fun. I mean, yeah. It's funny. Music. You say like when you see them turn, like I've seen that quite a bit out, out West, you'll see them turn. It's like all of a sudden they're like lit up like bright 
white antlers you can see super yeah. bright uh which is what that has to help them here right is that why they have them scooped like that is that the i don't know why these are super interesting so um a couple of days before that actually so we came out of that low marsh area i was telling you about that night we kind of went back to the camp and we had a couple hours i was like let's just go call and see we're kind of on this lake there's moose in there sometimes actually most guys just would sit at that camp and drink their coffee and wait for one to come in and drink. right and I, I i was like hey I want to work out. I don't want no. to sit here. I, I go crazy, you know? So we never did that, but th we had a couple hours at night, went across the river and, uh, or across the lake and we're calling, didn't see anything. And then, uh, the next morning, again, you can watch this in the video. It's hilarious. Next morning I was in this little hut and then they were like the guide and his girlfriend was actually kind of like the wrangler, the horse wrangler and kind of the Not you know, assistant. Yeah, she was, she was a stud. <laughs> she was like 18 and German and just, they were both tough as nails. But uh, I, I'm in this little thing by myself and I'm repacking and I just hear this moose grunt. And I'm like, Ooh. like I'm like, yeah, exactly. And I'm like, is, is he calling? Like, and so I just, I kind of, I open the door and I look out the lakes, like, you know, over here and he's opening the door at the same time. And I pointed him like, was that you? And he's like, no, was that you? And I ran in and I grabbed my rifle and I came out and this moose was walking across the lake towards the horses. Um, and, you know, he, he's like, you know, that guy probably heard us calling last night and just started walking. And so back to your point with the antlers, they can hear for a super long distance. And the thing he was telling me about moose is like, they don't really think about time. They're just like, Oh, right. there's something over there. I'm just going to, just going to walk and they don't hurry. I'll they get there when kinda, I get there. Yeah, they just yeah. kind of cruise all night, and they show up when they show up. And um, but yeah, those antlers are satellite dishes for real, and their noses are are like that because they uh they float. Uh, moose usually eat like seaweed and stuff. So yeah. When they go underwater, it plugs their nostrils. Is that why? Because they get that funny nose. Yep. Yep. This light moves fast up here. I'm gonna change a little. There we go. No, you're good. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They have a funny nose, and that's what that does is actually floats and it plugs their nostrils so they can better eat underwater. Awesome. You know, I, I, we've talked about this a little bit, the podcast, every time I go elk hunting, I, I stumble into moose. Mm -hmm. Like I've gone, you know, several years and I, I did bad on the elk front, but I think it's cause I hunt, hunt them like whitetail, like for the first while that I went out. So I was like, all right, what do I know about hunting? No one ever told me what to do for elk. They're just like, go out and do it. So I'm like, all right, you know, I, I guess edges and sometimes I like swampy areas, maybe elk will like that too. And it was just, I would just stumble <laughs> on moose after moose, uh, so never, never, but never had a tag. I was in Colorado, so they're hard to get, but. Well, Utah, it's once in a lifetime out here. And it's funny because when you're hunting for elk, you see moose. And when yeah. you're hunting for mule deer, you see elk. And then yeah. you have a once in a lifetime moose tag. And, you know, a lot of people don't get it done. So it's just, it's funny. It's like, whatever you're not looking for shows up. We were, I was, I took a buddy out. We were kind of late season elk hunting this year. And I think we saw six moose one day and zero mule deer and zero elk. And I was right. walking home and I'm like, he's kind of new at this. And I'm like, I don't think you understand how <laughs> weir weird it is to not see a deer and to see six moose in this kind of small area we were covering. So um, you just never know. Right. I mean, yeah. where I live, like I was spring, I was out jogging and I'm pretty aware. I'm always looking for elk up in the hills and I was jogging past this house and I was like, I backed up and there was this little, little like year old bull moose just chomping away in a tree, like 10 feet to my left. I've never <laughs> seen one in this neighborhood before. And it's just, you just never know where they're going to show up. They're really wild animals for yeah. sure. 
So you, uh, you grew up, you said in Wisconsin, and I'm assuming, you know, you started kind of your out, your love for the outdoors and, and hunting there. Is that, that accurate? Kind of, you know, it's weird because hunting in Wisconsin, um, it, it, it wasn't that much fun when I was like, you know, 12 to 17 when I could hunt or what is it? 11? I don't know when you start yeah. exactly. It's something like that. 12, I up think. To like, yeah. yeah. Up to like when I graduated and, and, and moved out of home, but you know, it's freezing and you're sitting in a tree stand and Not you're just moving. being quiet and mm-hmm. waiting. And I've, I don't know if it's ADD or what, but you know, elk hunting where you are just using all the energy in your body is way more fun for me. So yeah. I, I used to hunt, but a lot of times it was like, Oh, it's Thanksgiving. And you know, go walk this cornfield and dad and grandpa are going to stand on the other side. Exactly. Or, you're the walker. Dang or it. you get like <laughs> the third or fourth best stand on the farm. And yeah. you know, you'd see a couple little does, you didn't shoot them. And uh, it was okay. You know, it wasn't really until I got into Western hunting that it really lit something up in me because at that point I was, I was doing triathlons and I, you know, I was, I was really into sports and, and fitness and working at a fitness app company. And so I was really thinking about human performance a lot. And then it was like, okay, throw, you know, throw 50, 60, 70 pounds on your back, go up into high elevations, move as quiet as you can. Try and to have a very specific and, target, you know, yeah, something to go yeah. after and chase. And it's, it's just fun. And I, you know, I've, I've introduced a lot of people to elk hunting now since I've been out here and every single one of them now is just absolutely addicted. And, yeah. and a lot of them haven't shot one yet, but it's just, you know, how it is. It's like something in your DNA lights up and, and the next thing you know, it's like all you're thinking about. Um, yeah. But yeah. So I, Wisconsin, you know, it was, I, I was really into like racing snowmobiles and stuff growing up. I grew up on a farm and I love nature and being outside, but I wouldn't say I was like a massive hunter until, until I left. And then I kind of really missed all of it. And I, I just dove in hard. Yeah. You know, we, we've had similar things, you know, I moved, both of us moved away. Jared moved out uh, for the Marines and I moved for school. Um, And so early years, I mean, in college, we've talked about this a lot. Me and Jared would go um, hunting just for free meat, you know, and, and just to get us through college, whatever. But moved away, lived out East and there wasn't any of it. So when I came back, it was like, I liked it before, but now I, I mean, I dove into hunting, you know, traveling to hunt, hunting different ways, even in, even in Michigan. Um, and so it's funny how you, when it's kind of, you go away and come back, it, it kind of is exciting that way. You don't oh, know yeah. what you have until it's gone. Yeah. right? Oh yeah. I can still remember being on the firing range in uh, boot camp and I was down in the pits. So Usually how you have it, you split up into like two groups. You have one group firing and the other group is down in the pits and you're pulling down these, you know, eight by eight uh, shooting targets, right? So you hear the bullet hit, pull it down, mark it, throw it up to see the, tell the guys where they shot, pull it back down, you know, put a little sticker over top of the hole, throw it back right. up so they can shoot again. And I remember sitting there and me and this other guy, I forgot where he was from. But we just kept talking about it was October 1st. Ooh, and we're like, yeah. man, if I could be in a tree stand right now, it's <laughs> freaking awesome. But we're here stuck pulling pits and getting thrashed. Yeah. Well, thanks, was, thanks for your service, man. You probably are a much better shot than most of us after all that experience. Right? Uh, mm, uh, <laughs> he, you know, he's always high to the left. I don't know what that means, but yeah. It means you're yeah. squeezing the trigger wrong. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> he, I, every time I see him shoot, he's like, yeah, yeah. Just, gun goes everywhere. It shoots back. It's supposed to surprise me. It scares the shit out of me. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. So, 
so anyway, so you, you mentioned, you know, snowmobile racing, uh, that's kind of how you, you spent time outside. You came back, you started a, this, this company that's kind of specializes in outdoor, not emergency gear, but like that type of survival type gear. Mm-hmm. Like how did, how'd you get into that? How'd you head that way? Yeah. Well, I mean, like I said, I grew up on a farm, so I spent the first, you know, 17, 18 years doing that. Um, went to college in Wisconsin um, you know, after that, I, I, um, I started playing in a band actually, and it was kind of, one of those things where I was like, I'm just gonna stick with this as long as it keeps going. It was like a yeah. garage band that we were playing like local bars where I grew up and then it, it just kept growing. And the next thing you know, it's like, I mean, <clears throat> we, we played in 30 some countries, traveled all over the world. I mean, I've sung national anthems at NASCAR races and, um, you know, had, had the opportunity to work with with guys like you know we shared a practice space with soul asylum if you remember that band and oh yeah you know, i wrote songs to phil solom who his most famous song is i'll be there for you the friends theme he was in the Rembrandts. Oh, yeah. And, yeah you know my drummer was uh and producer was was prince's drummer so i got to be around those guys a lot and um did you play them in like, basketball ever did you guys ever do a one-on-one <laughs> no but I, I asked about that Chappelle show i'm like i'm like <laughs> tell me man and and mike said that uh Mike, the drummer, he's like, man, Prince would never miss. He just never missed. He, <laughs> and he was, he was very short. I mean, like sub five feet tall, short. Really? And, and he just didn't miss. He, he apparently was a real, really gifted athlete. So, um, <laughs> well, no, I, I didn't. He's a, he's a pretty, he was a pretty, you know, um, he was, he was a big presence, you know, when you were mm-hmm. around him and, he, he never knew which way he was going to go. So the last thing I was going to do is like crack a Chappelle joke or, yeah, you know, right. Pass He's him, heard enough. I'm sure. Basketball. Yeah. <laughs> what, what instrument uh, did you play? I played a lot of instruments growing up. My mom had me playing accordion in second grade, which was probably the least cool thing you could ever do. And then it's sometimes the accordion is sometimes goes so uncool that it's cool. It's a, it's a I, circle that comes if back. I, if I could play it now, it'd be the best party trick ever. Right. Mm-hmm. But in second grade, not so cool. Um, <laughs> like saxophone, harmonica, and the band I, I played guitar primarily, sang. Um, but anyway, so we were doing that, and you know, we did that for for almost a decade. And about seven years in, I was kind of tired of it. And you know, we got really close. We had a lot of record label interest, and we were playing big shows. But it's you know, the thing about music is you just you never know if you're gonna make it or not. Like I always tell people, they're like, "Why'd you quit?" I'm like. If I was a sprinter and I went to a hundred meter race and I knew the time I could run, I'd, I'd know if I was in the money or not. And right. I knew what I had to do to win. Right. If I'm running a, I don't know if I'm, I don't know what the times are for those things, like sub 10 seconds. Right. If I'm, if I'm running it in 10 seconds and somebody else is running it in nine, five, I know what I got to do to get paid music. It's like, I, I watched the most amazing musicians just, just play dive bars. And then I'd see some kid make a beat in his garage. And the next thing you know, he had a million dollar record <laughs> mm-hmm. deal. And I just couldn't stand the non-linear, yeah. um, you know, experience that was being in the music industry. So I was about to get out of it. And then we were at South by Southwest in Austin, Texas. And um, some dudes with high and tights came up to us after a show and said, you guys ever think about going and playing for the troops? And um, I said, yeah, that, that sounds great. And the next thing I know, my, my brother, Zach and I are managing a significant amount of the entertainment going over during operation iraqi freedom and operation enduring freedom so i I went over 39 times our band played 150 shows and then um you know i could just tell our band you know you you know this like the the show is like part of it 
a bigger part of it is just hanging out with people, seeing right. what they do, talking to people, giving them a new face and hearing some new stories and just being an ear. And, but those are, those are pretty hard environments, you know, it's hot and your time schedule's all whack. And, um, I could just tell my band was kind of burning out after like dozens of trips. And so then we started sending, uh, you know, action sports and other bands. So I'd guide other people around and just try to keep the energy up. Right. So I did that for, for a long time, like 39 different trips to Iraq or two or three weeks a piece. And how many and, years was that apart? Like, Oh, it was over like, you know, seven, six, seven years, eight years, something yeah, like that. Sure. And then, um, and then, uh, when I was home, you know, I was, I was going hunting or going mountain climbing or, yeah, I remember one time I came back from Iraq and I dropped my bags and grabbed other bags and flew to Jackson, Wyoming and climbed the Grand Teton. And, you know, it's just like I was yeah. always just moving. And so this was my life. And then, you know, Operation Iraqi Freedom kind of wound down. Uh, they didn't have a need for us as much anymore. Um, I had been doing some other projects and, and those things. I, I sold a company. We had done a documentary. You know, that was done. And I was trying to figure out what was next. And I had an opportunity to go work in California at this fitness app company. And, um, I was there for a couple of years and about halfway through my time there, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm living in orange County and it's just a completely different existence than what I'm used to. I mean, just massively different, but, but it's something I'd always wanted to do, you know? And so I'm living and, and, and one new year's I'm like, I'm going to go to steamboat to see some friends for, for new, year, new year's Eve. And as I left orange County, it was snowing and it, it snowed like two inches and we were just outside orange County and traffic stopped. And I sat there for like seven or eight hours while, I mean, I remember opening the door of my F-150 and like kicking to see if it was black ice. I'm like, I don't understand why everybody's struggling, you know? Right. And mm -hmm. it was just, and my, my buddies are already in Steamboat. I'm getting pictures of a powder day and they're like, where are you? You're missing the snow. I thought you'd be here by now. <laughs> and the frustration mixed with a lot of time just sitting there. And, and I was totally fine. I had an F-150, I had all my ski gear. I knew how to drive in this stuff. Like where I grew up and where you grew up in Michigan, two inches of snow is like, it didn't snow. It, it right. like, that's nothing. It was a non-event. Non right. It was a dusting. Right. I mean, I remember pushing our school bus out of snowbanks when I was like in <laughs> middle school. So, you know, I was like, Whoa, like all these people living out here in earthquake land, like, right. What happens if nature hates serious? California? Yeah. Well, I think we've, I think we've, we've made California hate nature. I mean, yeah. I don't know if you know this, most of the water in Los Angeles comes from, from mammoth, you know, right. there's a huge <laughs> pipe that runs all the way up to the mountains. And so now all those farms in between here and there are getting dusty and that's affecting the almond growth. And it's, I mean, it's, you know, orange County is like, it's a, it's like a, a quilt, like a patchwork quilt of lawns with like, you know, grass systems with roots that are like an inch deep yeah. and those need to be watered every day. Right. And if they don't get watered and those winds come in, they dry out and some spark falls off a semi somewhere and it's boom, done. Yep. Right. Done. So it's just, I think we have created that, but at the yeah. same time, we're creating this like chaotic environment and nobody knows how to fix or do anything. You know, I mean, I used to road bike all the time out there and I don't know how many times I'd stop and change somebody's tire. Cause they just didn't know how to change a tire. <laughs> right. Um, and, you know, we, that's an area that most people are dependent on technology. They have um, more kind of white collar jobs and it's not that they're dumb. They just don't have the experience. Yeah. No one's, they, no, you've not done it a couple of times. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so I'm, I'm just, I'm just seeing all this going on. I, I get home from that trip and I'm like, man, why isn't there a solution for this? And there's a very long answer by the way, but that's what, 
that's what took me down the path of starting Uncharted. And the first product we built was was like a 72-hour kit. We called the 72. And the reason 72 hours is critical is 95% of all survival situations, whether it's going in a ditch or September 11th, the cavalry arrives within 72 hours. Right. Well, you know, 95% of the time helps there within three days. But what you do in those days can be life or death, right? Yeah. If you're if you need medical or you know you're freezing or you don't have water, those things can quickly escalate a situation. So I was like, you know, that's a pretty interesting thesis. And if if you can, you know, this means you don't have to have a bunker. You don't have to have uh, $10,000 in, in gear. You just need enough to get by for a couple of days. That was kind of where I started. It seemed logical. It seemed like a small, affordable thing that everybody in California could have at the time. Yeah. And as they're moving from apartment to apartment, or maybe they don't have a backyard or a garage, this is coverage, right? And if we can provide everybody with this, maybe we can, we can shift the outcome of a big situation. So that's, that's really where it started. And, um, and yeah, we just, I just, that's what I've been doing ever since. So, um, no, it's, it's so, cool. Like, so going back to the 72, right? Like, how'd you, how'd you figure out what to put in there? Like, was yeah, that so, some, that research or how'd that work? Well, first of all, um, you can go to ready.gov or, you know, FEMA, there's a million websites that'll tell you, here's what you should have in your emergency kit, right? Sure. So, okay, great. You know, a lot, not a lot of people, some people, like some of my buddies when I asked them, well, yeah, I got a kit. And they, they kind of couldn't remember what was in there. What's in this pocket? Oh, no, it must be this. Oh, no, it's here. Here's, here's the thing I was looking for, right? And so I just kept kind of seeing what people had, what they thought. You know, there were kits you could buy out there, but you'd have to go to an army surplus store and you go in the back dark corner and you'd find some dusty Jansport backpack, right. with, like a bunch of stuff that didn't sell. <laughs> thrown in there and they called a survival kit and it was like 75 bucks. And um, I was like, man, this, this doesn't make sense. You know? So I went, I went to friends of mine that were, you know, the guys I'd met over in Iraq guys I got to be friends with some special forces guys, some medics, you know, Bush pilots that I met on hunts. Um, I have a couple friends that are guides on K2 and Everest and, and, you know, doctors and all these guys. Right. And I, I just, I kept, I, I'd put something together and I'd show all of them and I'd get feedback and I'd change it. And I, I just, Basically, what I tried to do was I would go to them and say, hey, you're an expert. I don't want to know what you have for you, but let's say you have a 10-year-old son and you aren't home and something happens. Like, is this the right tool to give somebody like that? Because my yeah. perspective was a lot of people that need this don't have the experience. They're not going to take a class. They're not going to have all that experience of, of camping on the weekends or hunting or farming or whatever it is where they're like, oh, I've been in something familiar, right? This is like, I'm like, if somebody's going outside for the first time, can you give them this and it's going to change and improve their day? And the really important thing that I learned was gear is great. Important, I mean, high quality gear and the right stuff, very important. Love it. But, but as important is knowing where it is and then knowing how to use it, right? So organization and kind of a trusted voice. And so we kind of built this system where everything's labeled and color coded and there's instructions everywhere for like the most common things that happen. And the idea being it's, it's kind of paint by numbers, right? You have something happen, adrenaline spiking. You've never been in this situation before, but Oh, okay. Broken bone. Here's five steps. Step one, check. Step two, check. Quick now clap. you're making a situation. <laughs> Chop better. it off. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. just tie that thing off. Um, you know, broke your leg. I had to shoot it, but uh, no, it's, it's um, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just, um, it's giving people the things that actually make a difference. It's kind of reverse yeah. engineering from the time of need. 
And, and that was a real differentiator, I think. And that's, that's what we hear over and over from people is, you know, it just, I, I, I have so much peace of mind when I open this thing up because I'm, I'm freaking out and, you know, maybe the tool is in there, but I don't even know which tool to grab. But when I right. go over here and I say, oh, I have this, okay, grab this. Now I'm making the situation better. And as you know, if adrenaline starts decreasing, you can kind of slow your heart rate. You can think more clearly. Usually the answer is sure. right in front of you. You just didn't see it because you're seeing red. So, yeah. you know, that was kind of, that was kind of how we did it. And we just, we got a product together, put it on Indiegogo and, and we were off to the races. Yeah, you guys have expanded into tons of things now. I mean, there's butt packs and you know dog packs and every everything. Are you yeah. are you the one that designs those or thinks of those? Are you testing it out or how does that look? How does that work? I think so far all the ideas have come out of my brain, whether that's good or bad. Um, we're actually trying to hire some product people right now because yeah. I, I I am not um, trained in that at all. But yeah, you know, I mean, I think I think the large scale emergency stuff is is super important, but it's also, you know, you buy a survival kit, and while I always say mine's like a go to bag, not a go bag, I'm digging it all the time. Right. A lot of people just like to have that thing pristine and in a corner and know that everything's there and they don't want to touch it, which is great. But for us, if we're trying to sell stuff and grow a business, you want stuff that people repeat purchase because they're using it and they're yep. and and whatnot. So. You know, yeah, like as you said, we just launched like this hip pack, which um, is is amazing. And I know I'm, I'm maybe biased, but like I've always liked the idea of hip packs, but they always flop and they catch on yes. the bike seat or the the bladder leaks or there's not enough space in them. Then the water's full. There's, there's enough room for a cliff bar and a multi-tool and that's it, you know. And so we just looked at everything and we, we built a hip pack that like I will I will pack that thing down and go for a 10 mile run and I forget I have it on, yeah. which is an incredible thing to say. And I, we made it modular. I, I elk hunted with it this year. I mean, you've got these water bottle holders in the side that are micro model. You can pull off and, you know, I had one that I put a bugle tube in and then <laughs> I put a water bottle on the other, but I can take it off, and put fly fishing stuff in. I can take it off, and put a bear spray right. uh, holster or a pistol or whatever, you know? So it's just a lot of times you don't need a big backpack, right? You have a no. big backpack and you got like this much stuff in the bottom and you're back sweating and you're banging it off trees and it's noisy. And so for activities like that, it's great, but also it's got a first aid kit and some gear repair in it, and it gives you coverage instead of leaving your first aid kit at your truck or your camp or your tent, right? Now yeah. you've got it with you when it actually, there's an emergency that happens. So, you know, we're just trying to think about what the most common situations are, how to address them, how to kind of, you know, I hate to say think outside the box, but try yeah. to create something new and different and better and, and find a better solution. And that's... So that's why we go from like survival kits to battery jump starters to pack rafts to hip packs. It's kind of like you're looking what do you for need? those yeah, those big opportunities. I mean, dead batteries is like everybody's had a dead battery, right? And now we have this little jumper that will start an eight liter diesel like that. And uh, it, it's it's amazing. It's an amazing peace of mind if you're a parent giving to your kid. It's it's oh, awesome yeah. to have in your truck if you, <clears throat> you know, go for the weekend and come back and you left the dome light on and there's no cell service. Well, Instead of spending hours figuring that out, you just plug the Zeus in, turn it on, and go home. And so, you know, we just we just look at it that way instead of like, oh, we only build survival kits, and now we're going to build a thousand variations of the same thing. You know, we're trying to kind of expand a different way. Yeah, it makes sense. And the 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 jump starter like rings true. I would say a lot of the trips that Jared and I have gone on, like hunting trips, we'll go out mm -hmm. and come back, and that stupid truck is dead. Really, usually a guy is around. Don't pin this on me, Jared. You're giving me the look you already. You pinned it on both of us at this point. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, fair, fair, like fair statement. You've had that happen both. one time. In not Wisconsin. true. 
tur- I mean, there are many turkey hunts we've been on where we came back to the car and it's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. not turning over. It's well, true. I mean, whether, whether it's that, or you, you get up to the cabin and you pull out your, your old John boat with an Evernerd in the back, yeah. and you know, like there's a million things that, that have little, little two or four stroke engines that have a little battery on it and they sit all season. And then you go to pull them out snowmobiles, like whatever, you know, yeah. like my Harley in the summer, you know, like maybe the battery's dead. Well, boom, here we go. You know, and it's, it's just, that's, that's the world we live in. People have those problems. And if we can make a solution like that, that's cheap and super effective and consistent, that's really cool. I think yeah. so. Yeah, that that would have been nice growing up my every single summer I'd go and, and pull out the John boat to go fishing and every, it was like, Oh, got to shoot. The battery's dead. You got to throw it on the slow drip charger. So maybe in a week or whenever it's done doing the stupid slow drip charge, I'll be able to take the boat out. Take the paddle boat out in the meantime. And then you try to start it three times. You drain down those three hours you did put it in. Exactly. And then I find out the whole time, spark plugs. If almost always (laughs) my summer was spent taking a stupid lighter on the spark plugs, trying to figure out if they're, you know. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's that growing up, we had these scorpion snowmobiles that would run for an hour and then we'd fix them for two days, you know, And, (laughs) and my grandpa had this old boat. I mean, I remember those moments and it, man. It's just maybe that informs what we do in, in some subconscious way of mine. But um, yeah, I mean, if, if you're out there doing this stuff, those things just they those things just happen. Yeah. yeah. And so you just just trying to find solutions to make people's lives. And, you know, that's like people are like, oh, you guys do emergency stuff. Well, a dead battery may or may not be an emergency. Right. But a lot of times, you know, people ask, hey, <clears throat> do you have any stories of like products saving somebody's life? And it's like, honestly, a lot of times our, our products fix the problem so early that it doesn't become <laughs> life or death. Like imagine if your car doesn't start and you're in a blizzard and there's no cell service and now you go wander off and whatever happens, right? No. Versus a 30 second start and you're on your way. I mean, it's just, it's just nice to know that we can provide that coverage um, in a lot of different ways. And, you know, every time we send a package out the door, I feel like we're making the world a little bit safer and that's pretty cool. Yeah. People need to know those things. People need to have that stuff and they need to be more ready than I think the average, at least American is um, outside of, you know, certain areas of the United States are not ready for that. Um, Our society is so detached and so dependent on either somebody else or technology. Um, And we, we all are in some way or another. Some of us have more skills than others, but are, are, I mean, sometimes I just sit back and think about where we are today versus like, you know, early settlers. And it's just, our dependency on on the system we live in just continuing to run um is is mind-blowing right i mean if if there was an emp and all of a sudden anything electronics didn't work i mean you think about keeping medicine cold you think about gas pumps not working or atm i mean you can't even get cash i mean it's just we are so far down the cycle of depending on so many things that it's it's a little scary if you think about it mm-hmm. it know? is well i mean with everything that's happening with Russia right now, right, it's right. not that unthinkable to think something like that could happen fairly easily. A power grid goes out. A lot of people don't have power. Uh, and like you said, most people, especially in major cities where most people are living, they don't have any skill because they have no experience for doing that. They don't have any thing, tool to use. And so they're, I mean, that's, that's a, that can be a rough situation pretty quick we've been getting that question a lot is like, what does this mean for people living in the United States? Right. And, you know, Putin's over there talking about nuclear 
you know, nuclear threats. I, the odds of that happening, I think, are extremely low. But I agree. To your, to your point, I, I can see the grid going out. I can, like, if you just take that as an example, power goes out. Well, you can't, you can't get cash out. Gas pumps don't work. Supply chains break down. There's a, there's a cascading effect of, of just that if it lasts longer than two or three days. Yeah. And food, refrigerators. Yeah, food spoiling, all, all that medicine. You think about people with like diabetics that need insulin and insulin needs to stay cold. Like there are so many little things that you just don't think about because you just, you're just so used to everything working. So yeah. that's always my message is like, I'm, I'm really not a prepper. I've never been a prepper, but I think, you know, like you guys, the more you get out and see what the possible is that can happen, you know, as you, as you're hunting and hiking and you come things happen and you start opening your eyes going, wow, what if it, it, it makes a lot of sense just to like have a couple things on hand just yeah. in case. And do I think we're going to get blasted back to the stone ages for a thousand years? No, I think we're talking this day and age, we're talking, you know, a couple weeks type of a thing where maybe yeah. systems break down and, and if, if you've got everything you need here, you don't have to go to the grocery store and you don't have to fight people for the last loaf of bread and you're just, you're better off all the way along. So toilet paper. Yeah. Toilet paper. You, need a, you need a bidet. That's all you need, Jared. You just need a bidet, a bidet dude. I, I bidet, installed bidet some, of those, some yeah. of those little seat sprayer things after the last one. I was like, this is, why not? The warm splash. Yeah, I had, a, my, my, nice. I had a, a buddy who did that when the, the uh, toilet paper supply went down he got himself a bidet he 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 swears by it now he won't go back he's like i love him he's like it's a that. mess i would never go back i've never tried it it's it's a weird thing to think about and it's a little weird at first but after you're used to it it's kind of weird not to have it it just makes <laughs> a lot you wash your hands you wash your face you take showers you use paper for your butt i mean i, <laughs> yeah. I don't know like it makes a lot of sense. It and, does. Uh, You're making a lot of sense right now. <laughs> I, I'm a fan. Yeah, I was watching your your videos too, and I, I was think I had a product idea for you. It's kind yeah. of a callback on a classic, uh, but your dog is always following you, uh, yeah. and you you got a big was that Burmese mountain dog? This mountain dog, he's, he's yeah. right there. You see him? He's yeah. <laughs> yeah, he looks like he's living the dream. But but you get a barrel that you fill with booze, and you just. You know what I'm saying? The booze. So some, you know, kind of a callback to the the classic. Like this, yeah. So the St. Bernards used to carry brandy yeah. or whiskey around. And um, do you know the reason behind this? It's actually really interesting. I was thinking just so you could go out drunk. I thought maybe that was the reason they had that. <laughs> well, this day and age, that would be that would be pretty fun. I've been trying to, to train him to like carry one around. He does not <laughs> like it. But um, <laughs> the reason they did that, those those dogs, the St. Bernards, were bred by the monks that lived in the Bernard Pass. And the Bernard Pass was a, a heavily traveled corridor that oftentimes when snowstorms would pick up, people would get stuck out there and, and lose their way. And they would send these dogs out to find people. Now, uh, slight tangent to that, brand, the reason they carried brandy, you've always seen rock stars do shots of whiskey, right? Well, that yeah. whiskey and brandy and all those, those dark alcohols, what they do is, you know, when you take a shot and you feel that heat kind of like mm -hmm. it it expands your capillaries and blood rushes in. And that's what that warm feeling is. So the brandy was meant to, the person drinks it, they feel warm all of a sudden, almost sweating. It was, it was meant to warm them up so they could get moving again. Really? Um, and rock stars do it because it's like, it's good for your throat. It actually heats your throat up, gets blood flowing. 
and you don't have like a dry, scratchy throat, then you can sing better. So that's why they carry those things, which I think is really interesting. And um, we're actually working with a, a whiskey company right now. They want to do a, a signature whiskey with us, but I'm, I'm trying to push them to do it in like a, a bottle with a, with a leather strap whether yeah. it's a dog, or like I just wear it to the bar one night for fun. Like, I think it'd be pretty cool. So that would be sweet. A whiskey, yeah. whiskey is a beautiful thing. Like I, you know, I used to do it before I, in law school, I was a, uh, I did moot court. And I don't know why I just would get so nervous. You, you get, they bring in these, these area attorneys to judge you against another team. And so beforehand, me and my, my partner would just, you know, throw a shot back. And I felt like that just calmed my nerves, you know, yeah, did me right for sure. and opened up my capillaries. Yeah. And you speak more clearly. Yeah. yeah that's great. I object. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. A lot of that. He's like the whole time they're like, he's, this guy's hammered drunk. It's not making any sense. I object to that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. So that, uh, that Will Ferrell debate in old school where he blacks out and like gives that answer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Snaps back to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you've, um, you've kind of grown this into a, like a pretty sizable company that has a, a bunch of different things uh, you, you, you know, you do. Um, do you take a lot of this? You mentioned taking that, that butt pack hunting. Do you incorporate a lot of what you're learning, what you're doing there at Uncharted into the things that you're doing in the woods? Um, yes and no. I mean, I mean, the reality is we aren't, it's interesting because like I had this conversation the other day, the difference between like camping and an emergency is one one you plan for and one just happens all of a sudden right. but it's really the same stuff right i mean you need to make shelter you need to make a fire you need to purify some water you need to maybe have some first you know and so that's where it's like i mean hunting gear is so good and yeah. if i'm really going hunting I'm, I'm using hunting gear i've got kuyu stuff and sitka stuff and stone glacier and you know i've got very specific pieces because i know exactly what i'm doing now i'll take an uncharted first aid kit and some things like that but you know our kits are designed to really kind of provide you coverage for a variety of things so they're yeah. they're very generalized right and I, there's a lot of times i will carry you know my the, the backpacks we make i will use those like one of my buddies a, a really great guy he sends me pictures all the time of people packing like meat out in them um i shot my elk this year and it was actually it was funny i i, I last day of archery season i went out I, I went to work until like noon and i just i had this like feeling and i was like i gotta get out there and i shot a shot a nice bull but as i was leaving the office you know there's three or four people in there and they were like if you need help give us a call you know almost like taunting me yeah and then i i sent them a, i dropped them a pin <clears> and i said come on out and then, you know they brought uncharted <laughs> backpacks because they're at the office and i have this great picture of of Kate who works for me with our backpack and just this rear quarter of an elk sticking out of it. You, know, you gave her a whole rear elk. quarter, huh? That's uh, quite a boss there. She is tough. Yeah. Well, there's three of us and I was trying to do it in one trip. So, Fair. Uh, but yeah, um, you know, first aid stuff. Absolutely. The pack raft that we make whenever I'm, I'm scouting or I'm going out for several days or shed hunting, I, I throw it in because there's a lot of times I'm up finding some high mountain lakes and uh, or high up on lakes and I can, yeah, I'll see some fish rising in the middle of the lake and I can inflate that raft in 30 seconds and go out there and fish and pack it back up. And it's like three and a half pounds, you know, it's easy to carry. So, you know, there's stuff that I use, but it's, we're not building hunting specific gear. Right. Uh, the first aid kits we've got work really well. We've got one that's super tiny. It's first aid and gear repair. So you can put that in your, in your shirt pocket and your covered or in your cargo pant pocket. Um, we've got bigger kind of base camp type first aid kits. 
And there's a lot of tools in there that I pull out and use, but I don't necessarily carry a whole survival right. kit back in the woods. So, but, but that said, being out there doing this stuff informs so much of what I do. You know, um, it's just, ideas are great, but I'm, I don't think anything's better than like experience. You know, they always say like necessity is the mother of all invention. And when you found yourself in a situation where you didn't have the right tool, that is a really powerful moment. You can go back and then go, no, this is what works and this doesn't. And here's why. So it, it definitely informs it a lot. I use some of it. Um, but that said, there's, there's some great brands out there that I love and I've, I have no shame in saying, you know, there's, there's better hunters specific stuff with sure. a lot of the pieces. There's a bit of a blend. Yeah, no, that's funny. You, you do really, I feel like it's probably because when you're hunting, you're just out there a lot, but you figure out holes in your system or, you know, things that you need very quickly. Uh, and like, hopefully you make that, that adjustment pretty quick. Cause that can be a pain, like having an extra release for, for a bow hunter, for example, right. a huge, huge pain or, and actually you mentioned water purification, having uh, one or knowing that yours. So backstory i have uh, i had the msr uh, uh filter those will freeze and i i've frozen so many of them because i forget when i'm out leave them outside of my sleeping bag and once they freeze they're shot yeah. um they, they so, actually break those membranes and yeah. they don't filter as well after right yeah you're yeah, gonna you get keep... the poops yeah you're gonna hate it you're gonna hate life so yeah, this year I was I was out for three or four days and I had uh, one of our, our water filter bags at the seams break and you know it's freezing cold and you're trying to purify water and half it's just running all over your hands and took forever and so we're we're building a new you know a new system right now because I was like that can't happen no you know? that's even if that was one of a thousand like it can't happen so no that, I didn't cut you off. your whole hunt. Yeah, yeah yeah for sure now, I've I've got this Steri pen that I've used on and off. Uh, but I, I got another one I, somewhere over here, but I'm committing to it. But the problem with the SteriPen is, is it supposedly it works and it's great, but it's like, it feels like you're putting a flashlight in your water and like, you're just trusting this flashlight to kill everything bad in there. And there's still chunks, but the, it's light and it's easy and it doesn't freeze. So that's kind of like, I've made the mistake of having my stuff freeze. So I'm going to try this and, and see kind of what happens. Right. Well, there's, I mean, it's interesting because there's there's filtering water and then there's purifying water, right right and generally in north america filtering water is fine because the one thing that purifying does that filtering doesn't is it also takes out viruses viruses yeah viruses really only show up in like pretty undeveloped countries I, you know it's like a handful of african countries in the southern part of the continent so the chunks aren't going to hurt you you know and yeah. uh it's just a little extra nutrition <laughs> that's right protein yeah yeah so just just put it down and don't worry about it but um but i, I mean i've definitely i've been there where it's like i, I remember when I, was, when I was living in california i made a mistake one day i was up by up in mammoth and i rode into um uh yosemite it was like a 150 mile bike ride and i thought that the ranger stations were going to be open but they weren't open for the season yet and there was no water anywhere except this river running down the side of the road the whole way that looked really mm. nice yeah and i gambled and i i didn't i didn't catch anything but i left and i was like thank you god and i'm never doing that again you yeah. know and that you just you just learn right so mm -hmm. you just got to put yourself out there and you you start realizing you can't really count on anything except yourself and and what's the right tool you know so yeah that's, well, and that's, that's the chance you take like, 
Yeah, you know? yeah, for sure. <clears throat> the steri pens are, are awesome, but you could crunch it, you could drop it, the batteries could die. I mean, there's no the batteries is the big one. The batteries could die, and especially when it's cold out. Yeah. You know what I saw the other day that I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing, is a, a propane powered boot dryer. So you know, mm. like ski boots, like those those you have to plug them in, right? And it's a fan, yeah. it's heat, and the whole thing. I have one in my house from ski boots. But man, I've been on some hunts where you're out there for like two weeks, right? Yeah. And your boots are soggy and it's it's freezing and they're ice cubes when you put them on. Yep. And I can't remember who made it. Somebody made one of these boot stands and you just you just screw in a like a propane tank and light it and it spins this little fan and like dries your boots. Does it work like, pretty well? I, I mean, I don't have one. I just I literally got an ad for it the other day because I've probably researched this a million times. I'm yeah. like, how do you dry boots? Because that's like something that happens Same. to everybody. Yeah, and it, it's not perfect. It's not like you're going to take it on a backpack hunt because it's kind of a big piece. But if you had like, if you're an outfitter with a cabin and you're basing yeah. out of there and you're bringing stuff in on horses for the season, there you go. You know, so I love that stuff. I love that innovation. And man, who hasn't had wet, cold boots and it <sighs> just sucks, right? In the mountains, they're just like they end up being like Herman Munster, like <laughs> just bricks. You know, when they're frozen and wet, and you just you get out. I just can i know the feeling like it feels like i'm there right now you roll out of your tent it's kind of cold and it's like i just got to put this piece of ice on my foot who it's already cold you know and then go walk around all day it's brutal yep. it's like put on a cold life jacket like yeah. at the end of the day <laughs> when right. you're on the boat it's like oh yeah, you know? that's right um but yeah i mean there's just there's always those little things right that's something that affects so many people and how do you how do you fix that how do you how do you solve for that um so i don't know anyway tangent but those are the things we think about a lot, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's the one that was on top of that. And, uh, camping do you, so you're going on, say you're going on a backcountry hunt. Are you a mm -hmm. pillow guy? Do you pack a little like inflatable pillow? So I have, um, I have herniations in C5 and C7. So that's up, you know, base of my spine or base of my neck, right where my spine starts. Um, and if, if I can't get my head comfortable, I don't sleep. So I, I've got a couple different op options. If it's a couple days, I will um, use my sleeping bag sack and stuff it full of t-shirts and use yeah. that. But I do have this little inflatable um, sleeping bag that weighs nothing. And, you know, I usually throw that in. It folds up to about the size of a deck of cards and you can right. three puffs and blow it up and you get a pillow. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, one of the things I try not to skimp on is sleep because I just believe so much in the power of right. the power of a good night's sleep when you're trying to perform and you're trying to think clearly. And if you're not sleeping on day five, day six, day seven, everything else sucks. So if I have to carry another, you know, 10 ounces in to, to get 20% better sleep, I'm, I'm signing pretty up worth for that. it. Yeah. yeah. That, that's where I'm at. I'm, I'm looking. It's like the whole time I'm like, well, do I need a pillow? You know, sometimes I have one. Sometimes I think I don't, I'm fine, you know, and I'm fine. But like you said, the, the times when you're not sleeping, the rest of, like it ruins your whole, your whole day. Like you can be shot. If you don't sleep well at night, you just kind of suck when you get up. You're not really looking very hard. You just kind of have a bad attitude and, and it ruins the rest of your day and it can, it can tank a hunt. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I've, I've, I've worked <clears> at that. I, you know, I, I wear Garmin watches nonstop and I track my sleep every night and I, yeah. at this point I get better sleep intense than I do in my house and I think I think part of that is just the electric signals the wi-fi going around I know that I've read a lot on how that affects you but you know when I typically get a high 70s to low 80s sleep score at my house and I'm getting a low 90s 
in a tent yeah. in, in <laughs> right. like the Brooks range on day eight. It's like, I'm pretty pumped about that actually. I'm That's like, so cool. Is, you know, cool. You know, we're figuring it out. So. Yeah. I, I, do you put your phone on airplane mode at night? I don't. Well, I, I have it set so it, it doesn't uh, buzz or send right. notifications between a certain time period, but no, I, I don't put it on airplane mode. I, I maybe should, but I read that it, you're I, supposed to, you're supposed to get those waves or whatever away. Uh, there's there's so much information out there right now on biohacking. I, I was just convinced a few months ago to buy one of these big red lights. I don't know if you guys yeah. have seen that. And I've got that thing. And it was, I mean, it was like a couple grand. I was like, this is maybe the craziest thing I've ever bought. But the guys that told me to do it, I they are smart dudes that have tested this and everything else. And you know, if those if those waves can actually speed up the mitochondria in your body and help you help your lymphatic system and, and help you burn calorie, whatever, right? I gotta believe a 5g antenna next to your head at night for eight Bad. hours is probably doing something as well. You know, um, it, well, we just kind of like released it and there's no, like we're the test, you know, at some point someone's going to be looking back and be like, those guys were having a phone and near their crotch like 10 hours a day. And they're surprised about what happened. You know, yeah, we're going to be those guys. Yeah. I, I mean, there's, there's so much of that happening. I, I can't remember what podcast I was listening to. It might've been Rogan or something, but they were talking about how like, our DNA is, is still like just a little progressed from caveman. Like humans evolve, but very slowly, but technology is evolving like a thousand times faster. And we, we are operating in an environment that our bodies haven't caught up to, whether it's artificial light or the food we're eating or the vibrations or, or whatever, you know, and I, I, that's, I, I really believe in the power of nature. Uh, my buddy, Michael Easter wrote a book called the comfort crisis. And he, he breaks down everything from like, how much time you should spend in nature. And when you're doing that, don't even have headphones on because you have to have just nature, you know, yeah. and, and the powerful effects of that from scientific studies, it's incredible. It's, it's, it's mind blowing the, the power of just getting outside. I mean, I love my dog because he makes me get outside for a couple hours every day, even when I don't want to. I mean, I'm pretty much an outdoors guy, but there's rainy crappy days. And oh yeah. I'll go out for a hike for an hour or two. And I come back and I'm like, you just, you just, you feel like something's healed, you know, you feel better. Um, it's just, it's, in, it's inter interesting time for us right now. Like having technology evolve with that kind of like doubling, tripling, quadrupling hockey stick pattern while our, our bodies are slowly trying to adapt. It's, there's a disconnect there for sure. Yeah. Uh, and like you said before, I mean, aside from our bodies, just with the, the, the environment, uh, you know, we're, we're so far removed in a very short period of time in terms of the skills we have to go out in the woods and enjoy ourselves and, and actually do it safely. So it's a weird, weird time, weird time to be alive, but dogs are great. The other trick for getting outside. So in Michigan, we have long winters, but we have small game hunting. So I'll take my dog out. If you bring a 22, you're hunting, you're not walking your dog. You're in the, you're in the woods hunting. And it feels totally different than just like, oh, I got to take the dog for a walk. It's like, oh, I'm going to go. So I've got so many squirrels in my freezer right now. If you need some, I, I got your squirrel meat covered. <laughs> I love it, man. I used to be in Wisconsin too. I go out and shoot squirrels when I was younger. For me, it's, it's, um, I mean, I live in, you know, I live in a neighborhood out here with a lot of houses. I can't really walk around with a gun. They're going to be freaked out if you shoot their squirrels out of their front yard. They won't well, like the, that. the weird thing is I, I carry a weight vest a lot and it kind of looks like a bulletproof vest. So I've had a couple of times where the, <laughs> the patrol pulls up and they're like, what's up? And I'm like, What's in, like, gonna wreck some shit. I'm like oh yeah. it's a weight a weight vest they're like oh we got a call you know so i, I imagine <laughs> if i if i if i added a 22 to that it probably wouldn't 
yeah. wouldn't be favorable. <laughs> but um, but I do love shed hunting. So that's that's my thing where it's like you just I'll end up, you know, I'll wear a 60 pound vest and be out there for four or five hours and put on some podcast or have a phone call about work. And my dog's with me. And it's just some people might think it's a waste of time, but I think it's like time really well spent. Um, oh, yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. And by the way, I found so many antlers this year. I I took him to this furniture store where all the Californians that have moved out here shop, yeah. and I traded them in, and I got a new couch, which was is that awesome. the one behind <laughs> you? That couch? Yeah, this uh, heck yeah, that couch that, right there. antlers I mean, for a couch. That's sweet. Right? I mean, Dude, that's pretty awesome. I was stoked. So, so you I'm, okay? So you how how long did it take you to earn the couch? Oh, that was probably like you know two years of antlers. That said, I I give them I gave them away like crazy forever. Yeah. I mean, if I had friends come visit or like. They had little kids. I'd, I'd go bury them and, you know, try to get them to go find them and make a big deal out of it. You know, that's pretty magical for a kid to just find a horn, you know, yeah. as they call them. Like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, so I probably gave like 30 or 40 of them away. But there's a lot of mule deer where I live, just a ton. So, you know, I find 30 or 40 a season and um, I just took a truckload in one day. And... <laughs> there's a, I just read this great article. Was it in the New Yorker Atlantic? Yeah, it was. You sent it to me. Yeah, I think it was a New Yorker, right? Was that, am I right with that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it was just talked about the antler industry. Like, shed hunting is such a thing. Like, competitive, you know, cutthroat people. I've never done this, but in Wyoming, which is just down the road from me, apparently shed hunting opener. Yeah. 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 There are, there are trucks lined up, you know, and like when the, when the buzzer goes, like people are running into the woods, like it's like a Easter egg hunt at church, you know, like <laughs> right. it's like a thing, I guess. I really want to go see it sometime. But fortunately where I live, like I said, I'm in this like kind of private community where I don't think anybody, well, nobody used to go look for them. You know, people don't even understand the cycle of, of antler growth out here. They're right. all, you know, transplants. It was funny, like, uh, was it January or February? Uh, a couple women walk by in snowshoes and they're like, Hey, Christian. I'm like, Oh, Hey, they're like, we're going to look for antlers and get ahead of you this year. And I was like, good luck. Man. Yeah, you're in the right I spot. Gonna tell them that they're not, they're not dropping for another, you know, two yeah. or three months. <laughs> yeah. I was like, Oh, I hope you find some. You're going to have, have a deer attached to it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but, pretty funny. <laughs> Sometimes the early bird does not get the worm. Nope. When it no, comes to antlers. No. Everything's about timing. For sure. That's right. That really, that's really true. Well, Christian, you know, we're coming up on time. Uh, I appreciate you oh, yeah. spending an hour just, you know, shooting the shit with us, but up with our nonsense. Fun, um, but for people who are looking, you know, we talked a lot about the, the things that you're doing. If they want to look at Uncharted and, and follow you and the things you're doing, what's the best way they could do that? Yeah. I mean, we, listen, we, we've been an online uh, company since we started so if you if you type in Uncharted or my name or 72 or anything like that, we we better pop up because we spend <laughs> enough money to make sure that happens. So um, you can find us there. We're, we're also in Bass Pro Shops, Cabela's, Sportsman's Nationwide, Shields, a lot of hook and bullet stores. So um, not all of our products are everywhere, but you should be able to find something of ours in all those places. My my Instagram is at Christian Schaff. You know, if, if you ever have a question, I I. I really look at this as like a mission-based company. I, I wanted to make the world a better place. I mean, I obviously want to make some money so I could go do cool hunts and helicopter ski trips and stuff, but you know, it wasn't just about money for me. I wanted to, I wanted to make a difference in the world and try to make the world a better place. So 
I spend a lot of time every day answering questions for people or trying to find them the right answer, connect them with the right resource. So I'm happy to do that. If anybody ever has a question, just, just hit me up. I usually try to respond pretty fast and um, I'm just trying to be here to, to help and, and uh, you know, enjoy this life we have. Yeah. Awesome. Now you're doing a great job. It's, it's fun to follow you. I mean, you're, you've got a very interesting story. Uh, I mean, there, there have been twists and turns that we didn't even get into. I mean, from band playing to the Middle East to, you know, whatever. Uh, But we thank you for your time. Um, And so everybody go check it out. Uh, Christian, thanks again. Yeah, thanks, guys. It was really fun.